What is up, everybody? I'm Alec. Welcome back to episode three of the Now Roaming podcast. Uh, if you're just joining us, thanks for checking it out. I'm here in Minneapolis, hanging out virtually with my good friend, Logan. Logan, how we doing? We're doing good. Day 50, week eight, quarantine. It's all happening. But we got some exciting stuff for them this week, Alec. What's going on? This week, talking about... The financial side of the pandemic, the PPP, the Small Business Association, what's going on? Are your small retailers going to survive? Uh, who's getting this money? Should they be getting this money? Et cetera, et cetera. We also have another guest. Logan, yeah. who's the guest? Chloe Mack, straight from Minneapolis. She's a corporate wellness expert, and she is going to give us the nitty gritty on what companies should be doing for you, the employee, what have they done in the past, what are they doing now, maybe you're starting to see the shift already, and what can we expect in the future. So episode three, I think we're ready to go. Let's do it. All right, here we go. We're doing good. Coming to you live from sunny New York this beautiful eve. How are you? Beautiful eve. Good. It's uh I mean it's sunny in Minneapolis now, but it's been a rainy. It's been a rainy day. So what are we what was last week? Was day forty three, so we're in day fifty of quarantine. Oh man, we were <laughs> that feels like yeah, it was it is that's right. It's gotta be day fifty. And to that point, my CEO made a note on the call that like my company's been remote for the, our eighth week this week, which is also kind of just whether you want to talk about it in days or weeks or now months. Yeah, right. <laughs> it all it all comes together. But yeah, day fifty. I um I've been trying to find ways to get out because when you live in 200 square feet, you get very comfortable with each square foot. <laughs> and I bought a bike that folds up to be like 13 inches like across. And so it slides like right behind my bed. And I've been biking, I biked to Bushwick to see my partner this weekend and have just gotten back um earlier this afternoon while um biking home over my lunch break and uh, i will say it's giving me a new sense of appreciation for my city a new sense of freedom and biking over bridges across the ace river is very hard <laughs> do you miss uh, do you miss the subway do you miss uh kind of like the quintessential know. new york experience i don't know i feel like i i I don't really miss the subway, but I didn't really take it that often because I walked to work anyway. Oh, that's right. Um, but I will say I just miss like, just like 
people out and about enjoying the city, like the hustle and bustle. Like it's just like a pretty sleepy right. city now. But biking around and being active, like it feels really normal because everybody that's like active is all like kind of congregating in the same places. They all want to like run on the path. They're like bike on the path and like bring their kids out there. And so that all starts to feel really normal. Um, and now that masks feel normal, it just kind of, right. there is a sense of like it all being normal right now. So if anything, it's kind of bringing me like, oh, okay, the world is, everything's still moving. Like we're not all just stuck inside a box. So yeah, it's practice. interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy how quickly we just adapt to the normal, like the new normal, even though I don't think anyone's like loving this current situation uh no love is a very strong word (laughs) i think everyone's kind of just for the most part accepted like okay we are about to we're in the midst of experiencing a entirely new world like rapid transformation entirely new ways of going about things Mm -hmm. um and people are just kind of accepted that we are in that period or at least that they haven't thought about what's to come. They've accepted the fact that we're in this radically different time and this is this is the new normal for yeah. for the interim. I know we just have to like kind of like adjust the best way we can and a lot of people seem to try to be finding the positive, which is in a way making it all easier when you are people are finding the good in all this weird flux. So also you have everybody shifting like you know some people are unemployed that it's like everyone's having time for either their families because it's not like there's a ton of jobs being posted so everyone's kind of like refocusing on their priorities which has also been kind of cool to see like things start to shape and form and um and everybody kind of realizing like what is important to them and making that the priority not having like work constantly drive their day-to-day and everything kind of molds around that it's now like people's families are coming first which is really cool yeah it'll be interesting to see you know in the next couple weeks if you just start to see people like yep that was great but there was i really i really liked being at the office five days a week and i really needed that time away from from these people that i now spend 24 7 with so i know i am I am grateful for living by myself right now. I don't, I don't know anybody that I think I could spend 24, seven, seven days a week with. So. Yeah. I mean, there's like the reality of it all is just that we all need our space and you have to find ways to, if you don't have your own place, you have to find ways to, you know, isolate within your isolation. Exactly. And I think that's like been a really fun part about this bike experiment with me is like, I can like go visit David on whatever days suit me. It doesn't be confined to the weekend right now because I went on Saturday and I came back today, but then I can like go home and like have my routine, my schedule and figure out my stuff while he can do his stuff and make, we are still priority for each other. But like when we're home and doing our own thing, like we don't have to worry about the other person necessarily as much. Um, while you're when you're still in the same space so it's kind of nice to just like 
had this really good balance of like, see you when I see you. And sometimes it's like, go stay there for a week, go stay there for a couple of days, like figure it out. And it's all being able to, we can just mold it to whatever we need it to be, which is really fun. Yeah. Do you still have like a pretty uh, rigid, like day to day with work? Yeah. I mean, like I have standing meetings that are happening on a regular, like that were maybe bi-weekly, but are now weekly. I would say like my meetings, but I'd say that they're still like pretty efficient, which is nice. So, you know, you just have like your nine to five or, I mean, some of us have been trying to reformat a lot of new things for work to be more digital or online based. So it's been a lot longer hours more recently, but I think we're kind of seeing a little bit of a the end of that, which is nice. But yeah, other than that, it's just like show up for work at nine, wrap up as much as you can during the day. And if you have to work a little late, you do. And then the evening begins. And it's kind of nice that your personal life can transition really easily when you're home because you can just like yeah. shut your computer and then start the next thing. So that's been cool. Yeah. Have you seen it more efficient? Do you think, do you work more or less now in aggregate? Do you think? <laughs> that's a good question. I'd say I work about the same. I think I'm, I think the one crazy part, which I previously, you can leave work at work, you know, like we all work right. off of laptops and like, generally I don't bring, I didn't bring mine home always, but on the weekends I would just in case. But like, now I see myself like being like, Hey, like I didn't get to that on Friday, but I have like an hour and I'm watching a movie. Maybe I'll like do this like tedious task that doesn't require a ton of thought, but like it just needs to get done. And then I don't have to do it on Monday. And I'm more apt to do some of these pieces of work that are like low hanging fruit on the weekends where I might not have done that previously. And I don't think it's like, an obstruction of balance in my life. I think it's just a willingness to like keep busy and like do and stay ahead of work because everything keeps shifting with like the climate and um, getting as much done as you can. So what about you? Um, one like works like slowed down. Ironically enough, we had like this planned period for the month of April where we intentionally when we were booking work in December, January, we're like, April is going to be a week or a month where we uh, take on less work and we're rebuilding our company site and doing more internal stuff. Um, so naturally there's like a little less work to do. Um, I've, I've had a hard time like getting into like a really solid routine. Mm -hmm. um, but that's my work is very like, uh, like, focus intensive like i need to be doing that and only that um so finding time and ways to just block off three hours here and then another three hours that same day has been a little a little challenging so it tends to be i think i work probably about eh, probably a little bit more um but i would say i get i definitely get less done than i did um, one out of necessity, I should, you know, two months ago, I had a lot more to get done. So it was mm -hmm. a little more like, okay, let me drive through all this stuff. Uh, but now I'd say like my work process a little, is a little bit more meandering, um, which isn't great, but I'm still getting everything I need to get done done. So that's kind of all that matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how I feel. I'm like, I might get out, step away from 
my computer more than I would have been at the office. But like even, but I don't have a problem like staying late at my home if I need to. And not that I ever did that at, didn't do that at work. It's just kind of like everything being a moving target right now. I'm, I don't really have to budget like three hours. Like you might have to, but I have to be, I'm finding myself having to be really nimble and pivot really fast Yeah. and having to leave like maybe three or four projects like undone. Cause I need now some of my attention needs to be over here. And I think that's like being more of an agile employee and just being, um, quick to call or quick to answer when there's a call. And I think that's only made me stronger. So there's some definitely good things coming out of all of this. But yeah, I don't know. Also like my company has been trying to get really like a lot more focused on their employees. I think, you know, every conversation is more about like how can we help you? And like, here's some resources or like, we've been doing like a, there's like a weekly um, crossword puzzle that's being done with the groups. And like our HR team is trying to host different events so that people feel like they have other things to look forward to besides work and trying to lift their morale. And I think that's becoming a lot of the conversation of like what people's, what is like our responsibility as a company? And is it, are we, employee focused or are we like only focused on the bottom line and it's kind of saying a lot about different companies and their roles which has kind of been cool to unpack a little bit yeah that's kind of what we're talking about today so if you want to you want to kind of dive in we're talking about the paycheck protection program okay so on march 27th of 2020, Congress signed the CARES Act into law. And you might be familiar with this if you got that fun little paycheck in your account um, of, for 1200 bucks or less. Maybe you didn't because you make too much. But um, one of those elements in the CARES Act is the Paycheck Protection Program. And it was nearly $350 billion um, that was intended to provide American small businesses with eight weeks of cash flow through um, 100% federally guaranteed loans. Um, the major perk of all this is that the loans, and I'm going to emphasize this, can be forgiven, right? Because there's so many stipulations. It's like what you need to do with that money in order for a, if a loan not to be requiring payment um, after this is all over. So. So in order for you to return, like um, for the government not to request any funds back from you, you needed at least 75% of the money that you received um, to be used towards funding your payroll and benefits. And then the remaining 25% um, can be used on your mortgage, interest payments, um, rent and lease payments, or your utilities. Um, or any of the combination of the sort. Um, you have to commit to maintaining an average monthly number of full-time equivalent employees or above average from the previous payment period of last year. So as long as you were maintaining the same amount of employees as you did the previous year, um, you are gonna be within the guidelines of the PPP and you must spend 75% of the funds that you are given. So you've got to find a way to make sure 
that you're going to spend what the government's giving you. Um, there are some speculations that people aren't going to be able to spend it all, and that will kind of go into its own thing as to whether or not they're going to have to pay back the money if they didn't spend what they took out. Um, but I think that'll be a more of a case-by-case -case basis. Um, what will be forgiven will be reduced. So you're going to have to pay this back if you reduce any of the employees from the time you took the money um, to be less than what you had a year previous um, or within the eight weeks that you're going to be receiving the funds. And if the wages of your employees are reduced by more than 25%. So I think a lot of companies right now, if you received a 20% pay cut, um, you most likely are, your company isn't working with the PPP program. Um, I guess it's not the PPP program, it's the PPP program. But um, a lot of people are receiving some sort of pay cut and if it's under 25%, most likely it's because they're using these funds. Um, but the timeliness of this is actually really cool because that first 350 billion dollars was like used up so quickly and congress this week just issued another round of funds um totaling 310 billion dollars and bank of america reported that they had 50 billion in applications ready for small businesses and jp morgan had reported that oh, they had over 150,000 applications ready to go so just as like the news was coming out that more money is going to be available if it passed through Congress, um, small businesses who weren't lucky enough to get it in the first pass had already prepared their applications with their private banks to receive the funds straight from the banks. Because I think some people think that they're getting it straight from the government, but the reality is you're still getting it from your bank and the government is giving the money through the bank. So the bank is still the mediary between the funds provided and the small businesses. So almost like the conduit for the loan forgiveness program. So it's a really interesting time so that we can make sure that the economy still stays semi-solid as people start to navigate these businesses, but like not everybody that received the funds should have gotten them. And there's definitely some weird loopholes in this, right, Alec? Yeah, and another, I mean, there's a lot of weird things in this, um, right? This is what happens when you trust the government to allocate money, how you think they should allocate money. It generally doesn't <laughs> work how it's supposed to. Um, I, mean, there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things to get into. <clears throat> One thing just to touch on, that's interesting, right? All these loans are federally backed. So it's all money from the government, mm -hmm. but it's all, the money's being passed through the banks in order to get to the businesses. Yep. Uh, but all the banks are then collecting fees on these loans. And the banks are, you have to apply for the loan. You have to, <clears throat> you know, in some cases you have to talk, in all cases you have to talk to your bank or things like that. So the banks who aren't actually uh, using their money to provide these loans are the bottleneck between this government, uh, you know, transfer of money and the businesses. So there's been a lot of speculation about 
uh, essentially nepotism or favoritism within the banking system. And mm -hmm. if you have a good relationship with a bank, you're more likely to get this, get these funds. Um, and mm -hmm. people with better relationships with the banks tend to be bigger businesses because they're talking to bankers more. They have more invested in their credit lines and things like that that are coming from these banks. So this is just the type of, I don't know, the type of thing that I think for the most part is to be expected. Um, there's, there's levels to these games and we're seeing that play out in real time with this. It's also forcing some of these small businesses to be really innovative about how they can still deliver the product that they were, you know, excited to give to everyone in a, what we claim to be normal environment pre-COVID. And if you're a brick and mortar that relies on foot traffic, like how are you still gonna be able to deliver the product in a safe way now? And what restrictions have you put in place, whether it's a delivery system or potentially like, um, like a curbside to go option? Like how are you working through these loopholes that are still allowing for your business to run if you're not essential, but you're still putting in social distancing and best practices. And I think that's the secret to being able to, for some of these smaller people who are lucky enough to get these loans, even through this unfavored system, uh, to be able to make sure that they're spending the right amount of money um, if they need the loans uh, to keep, to survive, you know? Yeah. And I think hopefully, hopefully any small business that's, I mean, especially brick and mortar, small business brick and mortar is just, that's, uh, that's one of the worst places to be right now, if you ask me. Um, and so hopefully if I'm a small, if I'm a small business owner and I get this PPP loan, my hope would be that they're using this eight week period that they have their payroll covered uh, to innovate on the business. Because even if you have, you know, if you have the ability to pay everyone, that's great. But if you're a restaurant and you're just doing uh, delivery and curbside pickup, you're probably doing 20% of your revenue and your staff requirement is, you know, 20% of what it was before. So hopefully, um, this helps people to, you know, here's eight weeks, still getting paid, but also use this time to iterate, to iterate, innovate, and figure out after this eight week period, when this is up, how are you going to keep more employees or, um, you know, figure out what iteration of your business will allow you to continue paying at least some people, um, especially if you're in a, if you're if you're a retail business and you're completely closed, if you're a boutique, um, what's, what do you do? You know, you got to find someone, you got to, you know, hire a web developer and figure out an e-commerce solution to what you're doing. So there's a lot of interesting, interesting developments that will hopefully happen. Um, the other thing that people are running into uh, is this, the PPP package was part of the two, trillion dollar stimulus package um and so that stimulus package is giving six hundred dollars a week to people who are unemployed from the feds um and that can be coupled with your uh <clears throat> with your state's unemployment check so in some states 
there's people making $1,200 a week. They're making more money on unemployment than they were while working. And so some people are asking to be fired from their jobs because by working, it's actually costing them money. Yeah, but that's only, if you think about it, that's only if, and for them, they have to reconsider if they qualify for the maximum that their state will allow plus the 600. And they, a lot of people get in trouble when they don't claim taxes on that money right away. And then they're getting this money from the government, they're thinking they're making more, but then year end comes with taxes. So if you find yourself in this situation, make sure they're taking taxes out of it right from the get-go so that you're not finding yourself in a place at the end of the year where you owe way more than you can afford. Totally agree. Uh, And I think, you know, and we can get into some of these companies, right? Like some people are, are pretty upset at some of these big companies who have gotten uh, PPP money. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I, I can see both sides, right? Like it should go to the smaller businesses who don't have access to third-party capital from private equity and things like that. Um, but at the same time, like from a government perspective, you're trying to get this money to as many businesses as possible because you want the you know either way they're they're paying they're paying the the american citizen so mm-hmm. what's it's cheaper for them to get money to businesses than it is for those people to be on unemployment so just trying to get money to if you get money to a bigger business that bigger business employs more people which means less people lose their job which means we're not spending as much of the money on unemployment so there's there's arguments to be made there's of course companies that institutions that should not take money because they're privately funded places like harvard harvard university who uh they receive i think somewhere between nine and ten million dollars um in the grand scheme of the two trillion (laughs) dollar package uh or i guess the 350 billion for uh, for the PPE, uh, it's not a lot of money, but Harvard has a forty billion dollar endowment. Um, it's like, insanely gonna be, large. Yeah, they're, they're going to be fine. So the world um, can blow up, and they'd still be standing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously not the case for, I would say, most colleges and institutions. No. Um, and I think the other thing that isn't super clear is how do you define small business? Yeah. Right? Uh, the government definition of small business is, is roughly um, companies with less than 500 employees. 500 employees, is that, that's, that's a very large operation, <laughs> you know? Like that's not, uh, I, I don't think of that as small business. Um, so the other, another example of people being upset is the Los Angeles Lakers, the NBA team. They got money from uh, the PPP and now people are pissed because they're the sports franchise. They make millions of dollars, et cetera, et cetera. Except uh, they actually have less than 500 employees. Their, all of their revenue essentially is gone. There's no more, I mean, maybe they're still selling merch jerseys and stuff like that but that's their only revenue stream at this point. 
and no so ad sales right and so that's i think that's an interesting one right it's seemingly is a big business but under government guidelines it's not big business uh and so yeah i think there's there's always exceptions right yeah and public perception is always going to be a whole other thing from what the truth or reality is. So I don't know. It's a, uh, there's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, you people have just gotten creative with this, right? Like I'm a business. I'm, I qualify under every regulation that they've set in order to apply. And the, the government said, yeah, like you do qualify for this. And people are kind of realizing now, like, what that means. I also think that one reason why there's a lot of, you know, backlash is I think through the years and the last five years, there's been a definite like push amongst people, like, I guess of all ages, you know, I've seen this conversation of people just being like, I'm going to try to support this local farm, like whether it's a farming business or like it's um like a, individuals selling their crafts or just things that are just like on a very localized scale and this like idea of like that being a small business and then you compare that to these sports teams you compare that to Shake Shack you compare that to other like these what seemingly are larger corporations still fall under the same category because there's the reality is there's far bigger corporations out there that make them look small and right. it's all about scale. And we there really isn't anything written in as for extremely small businesses, <laughs> you know, yeah. less than a hundred employees. Like that's not, we're not looking at a scale like that. It's literally like in relation to other companies that are five times the size of that, then they are, they still are small. Yeah. It's and really I think crazy. there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of, nuanced detail behind the scenes of a business, right? Like in some of the articles I've read, it's like, you know, this company got, uh, got the, a PPP loan and they did 300 million in revenue last year. It's like, okay, well, just because someone does 300 million in revenue doesn't mean that they have any free cash flow that they can use for payroll. Right. Right. And so it's again, part of this, like, outrage culture, whatever you want, headline readers that um, end up making the most noise about different topics, even if they don't necessarily know the, the realities of what they're speaking about. Because um, you could have a business that has 300 million in revenue, but there's 50 million of debt and, you know, they, I mean, look, look at Uber. Uber did what? Like, five billion in revenue but they lost three billion dollars like revenue isn't a good indicator of business health and ability to pay employees it's a vanity Uh, metric yeah and then it also i mean that is a a gateway into another more complicated topic of like stock buybacks and what are companies doing with uh with profits Mm-hmm, surplus um, it's kind of crazy and i don't think like you know we're not saying one way is right or the other 
But the reality is like, this is just how our government looks at it. And I think that's just like kind of a fascinating thing too, where people just like, they assume that they have this preconceived idea of like how it's going to operate or what it's going to look like. But the reality is our government kind of views all of this as like, they try to cookie cutter it as much as possible to like make sure that they're not getting too granular and all politics aside, if you fit into these categories, you qualified and the people who qualified got the money and it's not necessarily a fair system. It's not necessarily um, a system that works, but that's where we currently stand and that's how it was all decided the first go around. And I think it's just, it's people just raising their arms being like, I don't agree. And I think that's also the cool part about living in a democracy is you can criticize all you want. You're not going to get in trouble for it. Right. And I think, you know, uh, as is the case with a lot of things, it's really hard to, I mean, how, how do you define what small business first, like what's micro business first, small business first, medium size first, large first, gigantic corporation, you know, these are all kind of subjective things, subjective mm-hmm. metrics that you can't, there's not a one size fits all for each of these categories. And so you just have to put, you know, a broad blanket on things and stitch it together as best you can, because we don't have the bandwidth uh, for any of these things much bigger than just PPP, but to actually evaluate things on a case by case basis. I mean, people don't think anything gets done now. If you want to do that, I mean, we'd be stuck in 2020 for the rest of time. (laughs) Uh, No, thank you. (laughs) Extremely pass. Um, But no, I think it's, it's all, it's also just shaping up so much and it's for those companies that did choose to take it on, you know, they're committing to keeping their, their employees, um, employed as long as they possibly can with some of these programs and it's um it is a good thing that we have in play to make sure that you know you as many of you can stay in employed during this time as possible and there's um a lot of questions to be had and the reality is maybe a lot of us are benefiting from this not only through the paycheck that we got into our personal bank accounts but also through our companies receiving this small loan um, so that we can continue to have a paycheck. So it's easy to point fingers as to who may or may not be deserving of this, but at the end of the day, they, we're all trying, they're all trying to provide jobs and they're all trying to continue to make sure that Americans are working and that money is coming to you potentially from multiple sources and realizing that you could be the first to criticize, but you also might be benefiting from it. So. We have to all kind of step back, think about it, and um, and just be grateful that the money is flowing. And if you don't agree with it, then do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the intention of all of this is like maintaining the economy. Yep. Um, if we don't maintain the economy, th- things are going to go from bad to much 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 worse like unfathomably worse the great depression worse like we already have more unemployed than the great depression but we have other things in play now that have prevented 
like less catastrophic effects than the depression had, you know, like we're yeah. already surpassing it in so many ways, but we're also healthier in so many ways. Right. And so, uh, and this is all like, we're talking about this kind of stuff on a very, very like speculative and just scratching the surface on the granular details of all of these types of things. So, mm -hmm. um, I actually put together a, um, a playlist on Spotify of podcasts that have been talking about financial implications of pandemic and coronavirus, et cetera. Um, Wait, people are doing it better than us. They're explaining it better than what we just did. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, you know, people like Mark Cuban and, uh, you know, billionaires, um, who people really who run venture capital. Yeah, who, like, <laughs> people who are experts in like, corporate debt structure and things like that, that we haven't even talked about. So I'll, uh, we'll, we'll share some of those cause that stuff is, is really interesting, but, um, just a good you know, listen in the morning when you're making your coffee and just trying to brush up on a stuff, it doesn't have to be boring. It's being delivered in ways that are really, really intriguing and asking questions and you're like forcing yourself to learn new things. And those are all really cool things to do during quarantine. Yeah, and I think I like I don't know. To me, it's important. To me, it's interesting um, because this is stuff. It's all stuff that's going to directly affect us. Um, like this coronavirus affects every single person. So uh, in every single industry. So being able to figure out, or at least have the smallest understanding of what might be going on financially, uh, is going to be really important moving forward. Like what does how does this affect uh inflation three years from now by just injecting 10 right. trillion dollars into the economy like what happens with inflation what happens uh with deflation what is going to happen with uh globalization or deglobalization as we might start to see like there's so many different facets of things that are going to change um that it's impossible to talk about all of them and there's so many follow on effects of like this will happen and then you know the ripple effect of one thing falling creates new industry or tears down other industry or creates new opportunity all of these different things that are in a lot in a lot of ways impossible to see right now mm -hmm. um, but are at least fun to speculate on they are fun to speculate on so i don't know we'll see there's uh one of the podcasts I listened to was they were saying that right now we have the um, the job loss and GDP decline of of the the Great Depression mm -hmm. with the market behavior of two thousand eight the Great Recession um, the financial Sounds crisis like a horrible concoction <laughs> it does and so like I think. But I, you know, I think that's something that, okay, my, my take on that would be then, okay, like at this point, best case scenario, we have a recession that is similar to that of 2008. And worst case scenario, we enter into another depression totally. or something even worse. I also think that to, for people who get nervous about comparing it to 2008, like, there's far more cash flow in the 
market than there was in 2008. So you're not going to see some of the horrible effects that you do remember of 2008 because the reason that we had a recession in 2008 is very different from what we're doing right now. And you can't, right. they're not necessarily apples to apples. It's definitely like an apple and an orange, both fruits, but definitely very different. I, I don't know. I didn't really have to explain that to you, I guess. But the reality is just when the, those parallels start to come to play, because I think you're only going to hear them more because it's what people in this period have dealt with in terms of a major recession, they're not going to behave the same. And it's important to remember that too. Yeah, I would say right now they're not behaving the same. Right now, the stock market is not reflecting what's happening on, you know, like quote unquote main street. Yep. Um, but the longer the economy is shut down, the closer we come to things like 2008 and market behavior like 2008. Um, because right now we're in a self-imposed financial shutdown or ec economic shutdown. Whereas right. 2008 was, there's a financial instrument that broke that was mortgage backed securities. Um, and now if we continue to be locked down during the pandemic and the economy doesn't start moving forward and rolling out and getting back started, then those financial mechanisms and instruments will start to break. Uh, mm -hmm. And then that's when we have really big issues because it happens really fast, right? I mean, it right. goes from uh, brick and mortar retail being closed. The retailers don't pay their landlords. The landlords don't pay the banks. And then the banks aren't paying the bondholders on, on those loans. Mm -hmm. And here we are now it's pretty similar to 2008 when people aren't paying their mortgages. So. No, it's true. Which is why for those of you who have issues with people who are, you know, um, protesting their governments to reopen and find a new normal, you know, that's some of the concerns for some of these people is like, let's not live in fear. Let's reopen. And, you know, so we don't find ourselves in a similar situation. And that's, I think, important to remember like they're you know a major point for them in uh in not advocating to stay home is trying to find a normalcy within all this to avoid the beautifully thing the the well it's not beautiful i was just saying the way alec described it was very nicely done but um and so we don't have a 2008 right and i mean like the Lifting the easing of of uh, shelter in place, quarantine orders, etc., is obviously a hot topic, and um, unfortunately, has been largely politicized. But it's I for me, I can understand both sides of wanting to protect. You know, by staying inside, you are by advocating for shelter in place, you're staying. You are saying that you care about people's lives, and you don't want people to die. You don't want people to get sick. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, which is, of course, what we all want. Uh, but unfortunately, there's other realities of not opening the economy. And um, you have people with addiction, addiction issues who aren't able to get help that they need and um, mental health issues that aren't able to get help that they need and people losing jobs and losing livelihoods. And what will be the, the loss of not just lives, um, from 
suicide, overdose, domestic violence, um, potential homelessness, things like that, that aren't seen as such an immediate threat as the virus, but could very likely be second order effects of closing everything down for months at a time. And so stay at home orders were, were put out to protect um, the hospitals so that we can have, um, you know, so we don't overwhelm the healthcare system, but it wasn't supposed to be a measure to stop the virus because that's not something we can do. And so now that the curve is, has been flattened, um, we need to figure out how we can safely start to reopen and finding that balance between, okay, like more people are going to get sick. This is a very contagious disease virus. Uh, and that's in most ways is just inevitable. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, unfortunately we're getting to that point where we have to have that conversation of, um, what's, you know, it's what's next, what's next. And how do we, how do we not sacrifice our future for the next three months of safety? Agree. Um, and it'll be like, it'll be really interesting to see what this patchwork kind of looks like, you know, like some of the coasts having maybe hitting the curve faster, parts of the Midwest, you know, are they still seeing an increase? Like, what is that looking like? And the kind of country is going to reopen in a very non, you know, it's, it's going to be a very uh, patchwork looking thing, right? Some, some places are going to have more flexibility than others, just depending on how well they controlled it or how crazy it's been. And unfortunately, New York will probably be like one of the last. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not yeah, looking... It it's not looking great for uh, an early reopen in New York, but no, um, summer is canceled. Yeah. Well, uh, they closed all the beaches in Minnesota are closed for the summer. They haven't done that here yet, but I feel like it's only a matter of time. So we'll see how uh, it goes. Like yeah, living I mean, on the it's, ocean, it's kind of tricky, but who knows? Yeah. And also in kind of one of the most global transportation places in the world that's uh that doesn't help it is a hub isn't it yeah um well we're bringing somebody on the podcast today yeah let's uh you go for the introduction you got it chloe mack is our guest this week uh she is a mindfulness and wellness expert focusing on restorative practices She has worked with various educational institutions on their wellness opportunities for employees and recently launched her own podcast of guided meditations that provide context and the exercise itself. You can find it on Spotify at Your Yogi and also just give her a follow on Instagram. And let's talk with her a little bit about how she came to fall into this world. Hey, Chloe, how are you? Hey, guys. Hi, Chloe. How are you? I am good. You know, just hanging in there. How are you guys? We're doing the same, you know? We're just saying saying day, roughly day 50 of lockdown. So, yeah. How long have you been working? (laughs) When did you start working from home, Chloe? Uh, I started working from home, I want to say it was March... 
shoot, when was that? I came back from Texas and then it was right after. It was like March, let's say 19th, somewhere around. Okay. So yeah, you're like <laughs> right right around like a, just maybe like a week right behind us because Alec and I both went home around the 11th. But mm. so wild, like how fast this time has gone. I know. And like, yeah. you've been able to get out and do some nice like what like walks during work and like to like take a nice break and your family's home is so nicely located where you have this access to nature that we don't have in the city and you also got to live both these lives Uh (laughs) Alec being in Minneapolis and you me being here in New York like way better in quarantine in Minnesota I think yeah, I know. Absolutely. I'm definitely glad that I left New York when I did. And everybody's like, aren't you so glad you're not there right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad I'm in Minnesota. I mean, there is the catch that I'm with my family all the time. Parents, younger siblings and everything. But it is nice. We have trails in the backyard and there's like parks super close. So I'm outside a lot, which is definitely helping my sanity. And it's only about to get nicer. So. Yes. Can't wait. Come sunshine, come on. Huh? So Chloe, tell us a little bit about your journey into the space of wellness and like mindfulness and meditation and like what brought you there and how did you get here? Yeah, great question. So it's kind of been a long journey. I've been practicing meditation and yoga for about 10 years and about four years into doing that, I started going into the teaching realm. So I did my 200-hour yoga teacher training. And from there, I started to incorporate meditation into my yoga teaching and slowly kind of transitioned from teaching yoga more to teaching meditation more. So I would do like public, private, um, workplace, yoga classes. I did it in Minnesota, then moved to New York, was doing a lot of teaching in New York, mostly physical yoga. And then it was in physical yoga classes where I was incorporating meditation and a lot of the students were saying that they really loved that part of it. And I really loved that part of it. So for me too, even throughout this whole process, the kind of like philosophical understanding of yoga is really what tugged at my heart and what really is what got me into these practices and got me into teaching. So meditation I've kind of felt has been better at almost keeping the core of those philosophies kind of like embedded within the practices. Whereas the physical practice of yoga, it's definitely adapted a lot with kind of the current um, industry in the US. So for me, it's easier to teach like the pure message and the philosophy in meditation than it is the physical practice. So I started doing that and then have done it in workplaces for the past four years um, previously at Fordham University in New York, and now at my current job doing weekly meditation, and now doing a podcast. So it's kind of just evolving. Tell us about your podcast, because you just launched this during quarantine, but it's been like a long dream of yours. Yes, I've been trying to do this for about two years, and it started with Fordham having some people say, you know, we really love your meditation sessions, we like your voice, it's really soothing, (laughs) and give us (laughs) ASMR vibes, it's a wonderful (laughs) podcast. So I've been wanting to do it for a while, but it's a whole thing. I mean, you guys know, creating a podcast, it's a whole thing. And I had to learn, what does that look like? What about the hosting platform? What about editing? Um, Trying to make it sound good, recording. 
had to get a website up. So it was just a process, but yeah. quarantine has allowed me to focus on it. And now I'm doing meditation Mondays, little weekly meditation sessions. And her podcast is called Your Yogi and you can find it on Spotify and also Instagram. She, you post every week reminding people that, uh, new episodes are live and I think it's at your.yogi, right? Yes. Yep. That's correct. Yes. Do some supplementary like blog posts and stuff too. So trying to hit people at whatever medium works best for them. Right. And I think that's like the nice part is like, you're not just like offering like meditation without context. Like you're giving people like walking them through certain aspects of the meditation and giving them some background, always um, calling out your favorite Buddhist nun. Um, and yes, exactly. It's so good. <laughs> and then just like giving people like historic, I think just like a nice sense of like, I think the way you break it down is always so nice because so many people come from it at a place of like, how do I get my mind to be still? And then you are always like, no, let's break down what your preconceived ideas are of meditation and like approach it from very different, various different facets. Yeah, which is definitely. always so, um, I think, welcomed. And I think, you know, Chloe and I, we got to build this really cool wellness culture at Fordham when we worked together for a little over two years and provide, uh, I would say, like, you know, we kind of came up with this idea based off of, like, people's wants and needs, you know? Like, people were like, I want more of this, and I'm, like, seeing more of this. And we built it off of something that the health and wellness team in HR was simply offering like these sporadic classes and people in our office were kind of just like soaking it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we were able to tailor it to our department's needs a little bit more specifically. 100%. And I think like, that's like the cool part. Like what are your thoughts about like the whole like culture that surrounds like mindfulness and wellness and like in and corporate responsibilities, like, the responsibility that corporations have to their employees, um, like where has it been? Like, where is it now? And like, have you seen a change? Like, do you think there's, that it's changing during COVID-19 and like at home practices? Super good question. So I think previously it was almost non-existent, you know, like in 10 years ago, we hardly saw major corporations, businesses in general, focusing on employee wellness in a way that's like mental health related. You know, there was physical benefits. You could get a discount on your health insurance for going to the gym, which I guess is <laughs> yeah. health insurance thing. So there was physical stuff or gym memberships through your business, but there wasn't a lot on the mental health side. So I think that has shifted tremendously. Um, even in the past five years, I've seen an uptick and teaching yoga, having meditation. I mean, I walked into my current workplace and there were already weekly meditations happening there. So it was something that I kind of started to build on too and offer to other people as almost like supplementary to what's already being practiced. So I think it's growing. Now I think the shift that's happening is when it was first brought in, mental health, mindfulness, meditation was kind of brought on as a way to increase productivity. And that was kind of like the catch for corporations or businesses to include it. If you do this, your employees are going to be more productive. Now, I think the shift that has to happen, and in some places is happening, is that the focus can't be, we need to provide these things so that our employees are doing more for us. The focus needs to be, we need you as employees 
to be healthy, to care for yourselves. Like we need you to feel like you are still important in your workplace, just as a human being, not because you're going to produce for us. So I think having that shift in understanding that as a business, you have to articulate to people that they as humans are important and their well-being just simply for the sake of their well-being is important is the shift that is slowly happening some places, but needs to happen. Because if it just is a focus on productivity, it almost seems like it cheapens what we're doing with mindfulness and mental health. I like the way you put that because my CEO actually said like during COVID, like there you have three priorities and the first one was like you like are you home are you safe are you healthy that's your first priority about and it was like all about being your personal life nothing to do with the office the second was like about your family like is your family healthy are they safe like are you taking care of them do you need to do anything with them and the third like because we work in education like are the children that we work with safe and none of it was about the actual job we're doing but it was about humans as a whole and those were our top three priorities as we navigate this like weird flux and i don't think i've ever heard that from any company i've ever worked for and most of them have been education institutions and it's kind of like refocusing on self being the priority and then letting the good work flow from that like strong self will result in strong work And I think I totally, I'm like, I, I definitely am saying, I think I've seen it all the time. Alec, you work in a really small office. It's literally you and one other person. (laughs) Like, are you like, how do you, how do you see any of this? Do you see any of it moving on your side? I imagine it might be a little bit smaller, slower moving for a company of your size. Yeah, it's a little bit different. So uh, my, my boss is like, now he runs this company, um, but before it worked at giant, like fortune 500 um, publicly traded companies. So he's kind of taken what he's seen um, in those environments. And now even before all this started happening um, was very much like, if you want to take a yoga class at one o'clock on a Wednesday, like you should go do that. You should go mm. do, do what you have to do as an individual regardless of the time of day, if it's business hours, whatever, uh, as long as, as long as you get your work done. And I think, uh, that's how my previous job was a little bit. That was again, an odd scenario too. But to me, that's the kind of stuff I see is more people, uh, more focused on, you don't, at least from a business side, you don't necessarily need to be in your chair from nine to five. Uh, as long as you're getting what you need to get done, done, take care of yourself physically, mentally, whatever it may be. And in turn, I think that yields better results for businesses anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're having to see that right now because at this point, this is a collective experience. Right. So this isn't some people dealing with this, some people not dealing with this. I feel like it's harder for businesses to neglect because they're facing it. You know, top down, everybody's experiencing kind of this global trauma where people have to adjust their whole life and they have to figure out their kids, their home, their work, elderly people in their family, anybody who's sick, keeping themselves healthy while also keeping their day-to-day functions moving. And so I think there's this almost forced recognition that, you know, we're all human. We're all going to face things that are 
at the end of the day, honestly, more important than work right now. Everything mm -hmm. else right now, keeping ourselves healthy and alive, that's what matters, number one. And at the end of the day, they don't have a business if they don't have employees and people who are healthy enough to do the job. So I think there is definitely kind of a recognition in this whole pandemic. And I'm hoping that it stays. I'm hoping that after the pandemic, there's still this recognition that at the end of the day, people are human. And mm -hmm. I mean, even if you want to go into it neurologically, our system needs to have downtime. Like our parasympathetic nervous system has to kick in and do rest and relaxation and restoration throughout the day. We need to have that time where we're up here with stress from work and we need to be able to come down to be productive and go back up. So that's just the way our body works and we need to start adjusting so that our work schedule reflects our body and is actually like working with us rather than against us. No, I yeah. think that's, go ahead, Ali. I was going to say, I think too, it might provide some perspective for, um, you know, especially at huge corporations, right? These people who are in the C-suite or at the top of the org chart kind of lose perspective on what it's like to not maybe have the financial means to have a nanny and a dog walker and, you know, all of these things that their uh, entry-level employees are also stressing about. Uh, and now they're the ones who have to take care of their kids and walk their dogs. And it really kind of levels the playing field of understanding kind of the, the current state of the human condition. I totally agree. I think there's something really cool. I think there's like a, a innate um, desire for change. And I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think what we're going to see is companies trying to push back and snap back to what was, but the employees are going to want to um, force change and we're going to see tension there. And I think that's going to come in a lot of places, but I think also that there's, you know, this forced um, hand for a lot of HR departments to kind of get really comfortable with mental health resources and wellness activities and ideas for their constituents and their, um, their staff to understand their needs better because no one's at the office to have that quick sidebar meeting. It's like all digital, we're all by ourselves. Everyone's going through it differently. Everyone's processing it differently. And now HR has to kind of step in or is this like the opportunity for a new department to move in and like take on this completely because HR is a catch-all and yeah. we see a lot of issue there with them bottlenecked by not having potentially the right trained resources in place to support their staff. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, what resources have been available, what resources are available and how relevant are they? Like how much new information is being brought in and being sought out regarding mental health and wellness and mindfulness, you know, like it's such a new thing. And the way that it's been done has been kind of just piecemeal. You know, people will just kind of bring it up, even like what we did with the wellness committee where we're just like, well, we're going to bring this on. We're going to create it with our own kind of background. Um, but there isn't anything kind of integrated within the system. There isn't something official that's really focused on 
the wellness of employees, you know, like we should have people like psychologists and people who are experts in these industries, in my opinion, who are kind of explaining how workflow should be like, what should our day-to-day life look like? What should the hours look like? You know, does 40 hours a week make sense? Does nine to five make sense? Eight hour, nine hour work days. Um, what's going to actually work so that people can feel productive, but not like they're completely depleted at the end of the week. So to me, I'm kind of hoping that this shifts things because right now, as much as all of us are struggling and we talk about this at my workplace, we've also said this is the most intentional we've ever experienced a workplace in asking, how are you doing every single day? Like, how are you doing today? What do you need? Um, is there anything that we can do? Like, are you okay? And intentional check-ins, intentional breaks, intentional, like take your meeting time and go outside or, you know, let's just take 30 minutes to play a game on zoom or something like it's so much intentionality. So hoping that we can really latch onto this and then think, you know, how can we be creative in the future? We're being so creative right now. We need to keep that. I totally agree. I think people are finding really cool ways to connect and really cool ways to find balance in their life. That's so that that's not going to go away. There's no, I think, you know, this traditional set of this nine to five, you show up, you maybe take a lunch or you're too swamped too. Like people are forcing time for themselves. And I don't see them once they've had a taste of that, like I don't see that leaving their routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, Chloe, there's so much new information just, I mean, probably by the week or month about the impact, like mental health and everything associated with that, <clears throat> good, bad, and otherwise we actually have data on it and real science to back up um, claims and things like that. So it would be interesting to see if there's a way with, you know, marrying this kind of work style revolution or, um, or evolution with the, um, the innovation in mental health practices inside of businesses And if there's a way to marry them together, like everyone has different work rhythms. Like some people are really good at intensive focus work in the morning and then information gathering in the afternoon. And some people are flipped and there's all these science about how you work, how you process information at different times of the day. And so it seems like there's an opportunity to leverage all of that information and apply it to a new way of working because we have this total essentially a total reset in the workplace yeah it's like forced innovation (laughs) yeah it is and i think that's like a healthy thing like if anything that this has brought people to think totally differently and like i loved how you were like why do we why does it have to be nine to five like i think people are just so like that's the way it's always been. And that mm-hmm. attitude isn't going to survive COVID-19. Like doing things the way we've always done, you, will, you won't make your bottom line if that's your goal. You won't generate the revenue you have. I think people are respective, respecting companies that are innovating. And I think it's, a, it's forced people not to make s- semi-permanent changes, but like long-term decisions that will impact the culture and the future of the company. 
Yeah. I mean, look at all the people who've had to be able to figure out working from home. You know, we have so many companies that are like, well, we would never do full-time work from home, or we don't know if we want to give that option. And it's like, well, (laughs) here it is. You're definitely capable of doing it because we had to do it. And the cool thing is, is like, I think some people are like, oh, well, people aren't going to be productive at home. And it's like, well, some people who might not be productive in the office might actually be more productive at home. So it's kind of like now we're being forced to see what does work look like in a different environment? Oh, look, not everybody's in the same place and yet we're still able to collaborate. And some people do already have adjusted schedules because of their kids and yet they're still able to get work done and we're able to collaborate. So I think we just have to be more open-minded and it's like, we live in a global world. Who cares if we're working at different times? Because if I'm working earlier or later, that means that I can connect with somebody in a different time zone that I wouldn't be able to in nine to five. So it's like, we can't always look at what are we losing by changing things? It's like, well, what are we gaining? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what COVID-19 and I don't want to undermine the gravity of the situation because it is a, there's tremendous gravity in the situation. But I think we also have to look at it and say, where is the opportunity? Where is the innovation? What are we learning from this? Like, we can't go back to what we were. We have to move forward and we have to be bigger and better and greater. <laughs> mm-hmm. Agreed. And I like, you know, my CEO was saying the same thing. He's like, I'm not going to say that this isn't a serious situation, but like, there's some really cool opportunities that we get to learn from here to make sure we're better off as a company moving forward. And like, I like that I'm such an optimist, but I love like finding the light in like these grim times where it's like, yeah, like let's, what can we learn from this to make us better? Like, what can we, and I think that that's both in like what you do in your everyday, but also in the way the company is structured, the way the company is like moving um, in terms of like who's collaborating with who and like just overall processes. There's so much to be learned on every, on every scale. Mm-hmm. So you, you walk into your new role, there's already a sense of wellness happening, which I think is actually very progressive for like corporate life right now. And so like, what are you and your colleague like doing differently or what are you adding to the situation? Like talk about what was like being done already and like what, how are you amplifying the commitment for wellness in your office? Yeah, super good question. So what was happening already is we have one of the supervisors who is very much into meditation and um, yoga, Buddhism, all of that. So he does weekly meditations on Fridays. And I found out about that because of course I share my interest and everybody's like, oh, you're going to have to do meditations, (laughs) which I love. He's amazing. So that's fantastic that he does that. And then there's also this resource that employees have called LifeWorks. And it's basically a website that we have access to that gives us resources for kind of everything. They have time management, money management, you know, dealing with death, loss, anxiety, depression, um, addiction, you know, having a baby, moving abroad. So it's kind of just all of these different tools. There are articles, there's little mini podcasts, there's some meditation sessions. It's just kind of like this really cool, robust website. And when I found out about that website, I was like, I love this. I want to know more. We also have these like leadership stretch opportunities that we can jump into and there wasn't one for LifeWorks. So I was like, I want there to be one. I feel like there should be somebody who really knows this resource front and back who can talk about it with other staff members who can promote this because we even will sometimes let our students utilize that resource, especially Mm -hmm. if we're hearing that they could really use help 
in any of those areas because it also has like three free counseling sessions. It's so cool. Wow. So I know. So I asked my supervisor if I could create a little leadership stretch roll out of it and then got another teammate involved. So we've basically been kind of just jumping in, figuring out how do we best advocate for this resource? What all is even here so that we know what we can advocate for? Mm -hmm. So right now, the first thing I did was there's a whole COVID-19 related toolkit. So I was kind of dissecting that for people. We talked about stress awareness month, which is April and how to manage stress. Um, we provided resources for resilience. And we're gonna then talk about like, how do we bring this resource up in conversation? Because it can be really hard to talk to people about a resource that is self-help because you don't wanna make assumptions. You don't want people to think that you're making judgments about them, but you want to be able to provide resources when you're hearing something from somebody that they're dealing with stress or external factors that are really influencing their life. So that's one thing I'm working on. And then with my team, I do weekly meditations on Fridays through like our um, little team check-in. So I'll do like a little 30 minute stretch and meditate. And then with my podcast, I shared that with um, all of the coaching team that I have. So it's like all of the, it's like a very large team. So I shared it with them. So they have that access as well. Cool. I feel like it's so cool to see like, for so many of you that, I mean, like for people who are listening, like Chloe and I, when we were at Fordham, we really did like one activity a month, right? Like we're doing like, maybe we bring in a dietitian or maybe we'd bring in like a, some like we do yoga or we would do like, Chloe did a weekly meditation, but it was like us just being like, what could we offer like this week or like a quote by the coffee station, you know, like whatever, but very like, people brought their like their passions like what they wanted to do and we're like yeah like that totally is in line with our mission and like go do that thing and but, like what you're doing now it's like so cool to see like how you've like built upon like what we did you know and like it's like far more robust than where we were at Fordham which is like exactly where you should be which is so exciting yeah it's awesome that really was like a launching pad doing that wellness committee with you because it's also figuring out you know what do I have the ability to do at a job? Especially when you're kind of making it up. It's like, what do I have permission to do? What do I have the power to do here? So definitely working at Fordham was really helpful for me to kind of explore, you know, what can we do? What are some opportunities? What do people even want in a workspace? Mm -hmm. That's something that I think that experience really helped me learn. You know, what are people looking for? Especially doing those, um, quarterly meditation workshops that was super helpful for me to see okay people are really craving having more information about meditation having it be demystified and then going through meditation because i think a lot of people can be like oh well, i'm not good at this or it doesn't work for me and so it's really trying to make these things accessible for all people so that they can reap the benefits of it what's something that you would say is you would just demystify for listeners right now about meditation if they're nervous about jumping into it. Like what's one misconception that you find often? Super good question. There's so many. <laughs> 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 it's kind of like, I mean, the main one I would usually say, and then I'll say the one that I've been feeling a lot right now. So the main one is kind of like you mentioned in the beginning when we were first started to talk, a lot of people think in meditation, they're supposed to be quiet in their thoughts. And that's definitely not what we're doing. Quieting, your thoughts being quiet is more of a byproduct of meditation. 
and it happens slowly over time, but it's not what you're trying to do. So a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm not good at meditation because I'm not good at quieting my thoughts. And it's like, none of us are. That's the nature of our mind. That's why we meditate. Meditation is like exercising your body. You know, when you first start exercising, you can't lift 500 pounds. And if you did, like if you tried and you failed, you can't say I'm bad at Lifting 500 pounds. You start small, grab the fives and just go from there. And that's exactly. like, it's like sit for two minutes. And every time you notice your breath or your mind trailing off, focus on your breathing. And you might not even notice it until the end when you go, oh, I didn't even notice my breathing for the whole two minutes. That's okay. You keep doing it for two minutes. Then you do it for five. Then you expand it. And you notice over time, that you are more frequently able to go, oh, I'm thinking and I'm not paying attention to breathing. I come back to breathing or mm -hmm. to my physical sensations. And then you hold it a little bit longer and then your mind trails off and you bring it back. It's a practice. It's that's natural. Exercise, right. So that's number one. Number two is my current one that I've noticed a lot. And that's kind of this thought that meditation and mindfulness and those, all those practices equate to positive feelings or feeling relaxed or feeling good. And the reason I call that out is because sometimes when you meditate, it doesn't feel great. You know, sometimes you're just sitting with yourself and maybe you have a pain in your shoulder. Maybe you were feeling really frustrated by something hap that happened earlier. Maybe you lost somebody and are dealing with grief. When you meditate, you sit with everything. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden, when you meditate, you feel happy. It doesn't mean that every single time you're going to feel relaxed. Even if you're listening to a relaxing guided meditation, it means you sit with yourself and you accept every single part of your experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, the uncomfortable. We're just making room for all of it and showing ourselves that there's no part of ourselves or our experience that is not deserving of our attention. So that to me is really important because sometimes if people are sitting in meditation and they start to feel yucky or they start to feel physically uncomfortable, I think that can make them feel like they're doing something wrong or mm -hmm. that it's not working for them or that it's kind of lost its luster. And that's the time when you actually really want to stick with it because that's where you're learning to sit with yourself and to be compassionate and loving towards yourself. Love it. Yeah, there's... Excuse me. Over the last like couple of years, I've started to get into um, stoicism as a philosophy. And uh, there's one writer that I read a lot. His name's Ryan Holiday. Um, he has a book called Stillness is the Key. And he talks a lot about how um, meditation in like a more traditional sense of like sitting in a room, not speaking quietly, like is one form of meditation. Um, but for him, it's more, it's not the sitting in a room quietly. It's being able to be alone with your thoughts is essentially what meditation is. So if it's when you go for a run or you swim or whatever, whatever allows you to sit and like be calm and listen to your thoughts is a version of meditation. Um, and that resonates with me because I'm not, I've tried the like sit in silence and like try to do meditation it doesn't doesn't work great for me um but i think this there's a quote in his book um from let's see i just pulled it up a guy named pascal um all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone and i think like that's kind of 
epitomize what you just said, right? Of being able to accept the thoughts and understand what you're thinking and have compassion for yourself when you're having those thoughts, uh, especially now when everyone's just like this, that, the other thing, attention being drawn 12 different directions. Mm-hmm. If we can just sit and relax in some form, whether if it's you're relaxing while you're running, swimming, etc., that can be a way to uh, jumpstart some sort of medita- meditation practice. Absolutely. Yeah, it looks different for everybody. And I think that's really important too. I had my uncle talk to me and he's like, I have ADD. I can't sit still. And I was like, well, think about the fact that when you're moving your body, you know, pay attention to the sensations that you're feeling. Like he loves lifting weights. I was like, feel the weights in your hands when you're lifting your weights, like be in the moment. That's what we're trying to practice. For some people, they sit and they can sit quietly, but they don't focus on breathing. They focus on what are all the different sensations I have in my body? Like the small, subtle body sensations that we're never paying attention to. Um, Sometimes walking meditation, I'll walk and just feel my feet on the floor and feel like the air outside on my skin. And it's trying to bring ourselves into the present moment as much as possible. And with thoughts too, a lot of people can't just sit with their thoughts. And so that's where as much as, you know, we think of meditation in its pure form as getting to a place where our thoughts are quiet. I think sometimes we first have to get to a place where we can sit with our thoughts, like you're saying. And if we're somebody who that scares us, that makes us uncomfortable, we have to be able to practice that first. And one thing I loved was my yoga teacher in 200 hour training. She explained with meditation, it's like, think about your thoughts being a tornado. And instead of being in the whirlwind of the tornado, we're in the eye of the tornado. You're standing in the middle, you're still, and you see it still happening. So it's not that you made it stop. The whirlwind is still going, but you get to see it and just witness it instead of being carried by it. And so that's what I think is important with thought too. We're not trying to perpetuate the thoughts. We're not trying to create a story about the thoughts. If we're having a thought come in, we're not going, that's a bad one, that's a good one. Or I wonder where that one's going, let's keep going. Let's keep creating a story. Let's keep dramatizing or thinking about what will or won't happen. It's sitting, noticing like, oh yeah, that's the thought I'm having right now. Mm -hmm. All right. you know, and like you said, you don't shy away from it and you don't have to say you're not welcome here. You know, I shouldn't be thinking. It's like, nope, it's there. Let it be there. Yeah. Like just mull with it and like, whether it's uncomfortable or exciting, like be present with the thought and like explore it and like maybe it lingers with you for the next week and you get to like unpack it as you go because you don't have clarity in that moment. But it's all about just unpacking things that like you might be carrying with you or that you're going through and like exploring them from a new avenue and just being present. And yeah, there's just so much good that comes from it. I remember when we would do meditation at Fordham, I would also find myself like feeling weightless. Like I think that was like a consistent feeling where all of a sudden I just like no longer felt like I was like sitting at the table. Like I just like lost a sense of like reality and I was like away from like, and everyone felt a hundred feet away. Like even if I heard them, they, they never felt like right next to me because we were like in a big boardroom, but like around a table and I could generally probably touch someone on either side, but they never felt as close as they were. I remember feeling so just in like my own world that just felt vast and just hearing someone on the horizon of it. And like, that was like one consistent thing that was for me. And I think it's just like, it's cool how it looks different for everyone. Yeah. I love that call out too, because I always think that meditation is creating space 
And of course, like you mentioned, my favorite Buddhist nun, Pema Chodron, she talks about how we're trying to focus on the middle way. So we're not taking our thoughts and repressing, but we're also not reacting. We're trying to go in this middle place where we just sit with it for a little bit. We just give it room to be. And in meditation, I feel like we're allowing thoughts, feelings, emotions to arise, and we're just sitting with them. We're not reacting. We're not saying you don't belong. We're just giving them space. And when we give things space, I think we often see that there's multiple ways of handling things or that the ways that we constantly reacted to something isn't the way we have to react in the future. Because we can get so attached to the way that we respond or react to things. We can make a story about who we are. You know, I am somebody who yells at people when I'm mad. I am this person. I have these issues. When we create space, we see there's different options. I can do something else. I'm not that person who does that thing. I just tended to do that thing, but now I'm going to do something else. Yeah. And I love when you're like, I give these things space because we're all giving ourselves space right now, forcibly. And <laughs> right. And like, we're, we're behaving differently. Like I, like there's so many things in my day to day where like, I find I've made new priorities and I've like rediscovered things that I knew I wanted to tap back into or like, um, that are now like at the forefront of like, my everyday routine and like just like we're all giving ourselves space and now we're behaving differently and it's like and people are liking this feeling and people are uncomfortable with this feeling and like just like meditation like you might be comfortable you might be uncomfortable but you're giving yourself the space to like figure it out and we're all having to do that forcibly right now it's like this really nice like space of change if you will and I think there's so much to be benefited from it. And, um, and just being okay with that, it can be uncomfortable. Like that's okay. All of this is just weird. There's no right way to quarantine and realizing what's making you uncomfortable and like processing that, like it's all kind of happening on a really macro scale. And like by adding meditation practices into your quarantine routine, like you can potentially attack some more micro level things that might be stirring up the macro. So really, really cool um, opportunities that lie ahead, I think for a lot of people. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, at the end of the day, everything's temporary, right? Quarantine Mm -hmm. is temporary. And the biggest thing with mindfulness meditation is realizing that everything is temporary and getting comfortable with that. So your thought is temporary. Your current emotion is temporary. Your current experience is temporary. We're letting it come, we're letting it go. And we're seeing that, oh, at the end of the day, whatever is right now is gonna come and it's gonna go. If it's good, it's here, we let it be, and then we let it go. If it's bad, it's here, we let it be, we let it go. So mindfulness is perfect because it kind of helps us realize quarantine is temporary. You know, we're not here forever. It's gonna come, it's here, we let it go. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't define us. And it's the same thing, right? There's, you know, I've heard some people say things like, uh, like reality is neutral. The only thing that changes is our perception, our actions towards reality. And that's right. That's the same thing as quarantine. Quarantine is something that everyone's doing. And so your perceptions, your actions under those circumstances are the difference between your experience and somebody else's experience. 
oh you guys we're gonna get like a total new episode about reality like i'm like feeling this <laughs> oh you don't want to give me the conversation about reality or maybe you do um, <laughs> alec and you will just like i'll be in i'll be the vort in the middle of the vortex and you guys will both be surrounding me with these thoughts and i'll just be present watching it all happen <laughs> I know, I'll have the conversation of, but what is time if it's not a construct? It's all made up. I'm down, uh, I'm down for that episode. That yeah, that'd be, be so fun. All right, stay tuned, Chloe. Come back for a reality check. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. I'll come as the philosophy major version of myself. Yes, <laughs> so good. Chloe, I have a couple rapid fires for you, but what is your favorite thing you've done in quarantine? Ooh, favorite thing I've done in quarantine. Honestly, probably create my podcast. Like that's it's a good one. That's a good one. It feels that's so a- good after two years. Ugh, that's probably it. If corporate wellness became, I'm gonna say it will, becomes like an actual division of like big corporations. I know you hope to teach one day, but do you see yourself in a role like leading wellness? for a company? Like, would you ever consider that as a role, a job? Yeah, I've definitely thought, my trajectory has been one where I would love to be in academia, but I have also thought it would be really cool to be in consulting or something, Mm -hmm. um, trying to help businesses navigate what this looks like. I also am at this current time struggling between mindfulness and yoga are being brought into corporate settings, but how do we do that in a way that's also culturally responsible? Because these practices are coming from non-Western cultures and are being implemented in Western corporations. And there has to be kind of a delicate balance with how that happens. You know, I think it's great. And meditation and mindfulness are one thing, but yoga in particular is so rooted in a culture and a spiritual tradition that we have to be really careful about how we're implementing that in a corporate setting. So for me, I definitely could see myself kind of coming back into the corporate world after, cause I do want to get more academic knowledge in like the cultural historical realm, but I could see myself coming back to not only talk about how do we implement these things in a way that helps employees, but how do you do it in a way that's culturally responsible? 100%. I love that. And I don't think enough people realize that it's not just the yoga class down the street at 6 a.m. It comes from a deeply like, practiced belief in a different culture and has been marketed and stripped of its cultural heritage. So applaud you for trying to restore that because I think that's a noble task. And my other question for you is what is one thing you're looking forward to this week? Ooh, this week. I am looking forward to the fact that I took Friday off. I am so excited. (laughs) Good for you. People are not vacationing during quarantine and I think that I think this is a one awesome element of like mindfulness. Like I need the day off and I'm going to take it. It's a self, it's a self day. Exactly. Yep. I told my boss I need a mental health day. She's like, yep, you take it. So I am looking forward to it. Good for you. Well, happy short week, Chloe. I love that. So exciting. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We had a blast talking with you. You're so knowledgeable and so fun to talk with. Yeah, this was awesome. It's always fun when so fun yeah. to be here it was such an honor <laughs> check out chloe's um podcast your.yogi on spotify and on instagram 
And thanks again. And we'll have you back for the reality check episode because I think that would be actually a blast to to trick to do something with. So I'm game. Have a, have a lovely night, Chloe, and thank you all for another episode of Now Roaming, Not Roaming, Quarantine. Quarantine <laughs> edition. <laughs> awesome. All right. We will talk to you guys later. All right. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.